Character and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation despite some great and aggravating and undeniable problems that uh, we face and encounter. Uh, none of them more, more aggravating and more serious than the problems of crime and drug addiction and homelessness which are all connected and connected more than most people want to recognize or realize somebody who has brought out that connection and done some epic reporting on this issue is uh matt markovich of uh, cairo radio and he joins us in studio because his desk is right down the hall <laughs> see him when i'm coming into work and he is a reporter for Cairo. He began reporting for Como 4 News in 1994, but he also produces and reports for several nationally syndicated programs and networks, including the Discovery Channel, the Travel Channel, the Learning Channel, PBS Lifetime, and ABC. Uh, Matt, thanks for walking down the hall and coming in. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a long walk. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. We we also live in a neighborhood, and I was mentioning this before in a previous discussion about homelessness, uh, where we live in a neighborhood just a couple of blocks away from drunk dorms, The this public housing which hasn't worked out so well for chronic alcoholics. Uh, we have the legislature in Olympia uh, in session right now. They're talking about doing something to try to get a better handle on this devastating epidemic of drug addiction, which is so serious in the city of Seattle. Uh, what, what can the legislature do? What will the legislature do to try to improve or heal or at least uh, make some progress on this situation? Well, here in Washington state, we had a very uh, big state Supreme Court decision two years ago. It's known as the Blake decision, which basically found that the simple drug possession laws in Washington state were unconstitutional. And that left a whole void. I mean, the basis of that real quickly is a woman was arrested for one crime. When they searched her, they found a little methamphetamine in her back pocket of her jeans. And she said, I don't know that was there. And on the basis of that, you can't convict me for drug possession. I had no idea it was in my back pocket. That went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled, said, yeah, if you have no knowledge of what you're possessing, um, you're, you're, you, you can't be charged with possession. And that turned into literally erasing the simple drug possession law of any illegal drug in Washington state. So there's been this scramble to fix that uh, because after that decision, you could stand in downtown Seattle with a bag of a thousand fentanyl pills in the corner, right by Pike market where all the tourists are and nobody can do anything about it. And somebody, somebody put that in my pocket somehow. Yeah. Somebody, I mean, you could I, say, yeah, it's not mine. As long as you're not handing it to somebody else or selling it, that's clearly a violation. You can go, that's a felony. But just having it, you can have a big bag of cocaine. It's okay. So last year, the legislature scrambled, and they had to come up with a so-called fix. And they created this law. As fix is a kind of a complicated word to use in this room. <laughs> well, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's because it's a three-letter word. Right? You know? <laughs> there you go. Um, 
But the fix that they put in place was right now, and you ha- and again, you know about the state. This is a very blue-leaning state, uh, very progressive in their thinking here. Democratic governor, Democratic uh, House, Democratic Senate. And so their fix was, okay, if someone's caught with a 1,000 fentanyl pills standing in downtown Seattle, what do the police do? Well, as the law is right now, they have to give them a ticket, basically, go get treatment. And if they don't go to the treatment and they're caught with a thousand fentanyl pills again, they get another, basically a ticket says, go to treatment. No violation yet. On the third time, if they are caught with those thousand fentanyl pills, then they get a misdemeanor fine, municipal court, not even felony. Nobody's enforcing this. In fact, the police, ever since that law took effect, the city of Everett, their police chief, Dan Templeton, testified in the hearing uh, that... Out of the 398 occasions where police officers came across somebody with possession, only one person accepted treatment. 398 out of one. And and one. And the city of Renton, which is a suburb of Seattle, uh, the mayor testified that 2% of the people who are offered treatment from their police department accepted it. It's not mandatory. that They just have to accept it. So that bill I just described or that law as it exists, expires July 1st. And if the legislature here does not come up with another fix, we go back to the way it was right after the Supreme Court ruling. There is no simple possession law in the state of Washington. So what are the fixes? Um, They're talking about always including treatment. Uh, There's there's four fixes. One would be go back the way we were. uh, On the far... uh, you're going to go to jail, except if you agree to treatment and stick with it, you will, won't go to jail, go to treatment, finish it up. But if you don't, it's 45 days in jail. And if you get caught again, it's a 90-day jail. And the problem with that one is you're always going to be circling through the jail system on that one. So the one that just actually passed yesterday out of committee was a softer version of that, where if you're caught with a 1,000 fentanyl pills, they won't even enter the court system. You agree to 12 months to 18 months of treatment. You have to stick with it. And it's this, and you stay with it, it's like nothing ever happened. But are, there, are they assuming that if uh, you are caught with fentanyl pills, basically that's just for your own use? They're ruling out the, the very great likelihood that if you have enough of these pills, you, you might be marketing them? That's the assumption that everybody knows. If you stand in there, you're going to be selling those things. You, yeah. Three, one or two could kill you. Uh, so, but that's not part of it. You know, that, they're, they're not that's making still, that that's, that's still against the law. No, it's to stand right now. No, no, oh, I mean, yeah, in other words, to, if, if, if they it's see a misdemeanor. you, if they see you selling. Oh, absolutely. That's a felony. That's trafficking. Right. That's, uh, that's big time. That's a well, serious offense. Right. But <laughs> the... The association between possession and distribution is uh, is is a, a wall that they're insisting on maintaining. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And okay, so basically, with all of this complication, trying to deal with the Supreme Court case and deal with the situation, how does how does this apply to those? Meth labs in the in the woods that we keep hearing about that that 
produce and because meth addiction is is so ugly and so deadly and so life destroying. Fentanyl addiction, obviously, yeah. one knows about. And here we are. We're talking about stop trying to stop the fentanyl at the border, which is a, would be a good thing. Uh, where does most of the fentanyl come from? And well, let's get to that. If you have a moment yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does most of the fentanyl come from? If people have these thousands of pills, are they getting them from hospitals? Are they getting them... Well, we'll get to that with uh, Mac Markovich of Cairo Radio, our sister station here. We'll be right back. Ed Show, a few minutes more with our colleague Matt Markovich of Cairo Radio, who has done some epic reporting of uh, attempts that are complicated and frustrating in Olympia to uh, try to, well, make some progress with the problems that everybody knows about uh, drug addiction and criminality and, yes, homelessness and people. Uh, living alongside freeways, and uh, which they're not supposed to do, which is dangerous, which is ex- incredibly destructive if you believe in the broken windows effect, and we do here. Uh, Matt, you, you were just talking about uh, the inability. To, you were saying 20% right now of shelters, uh, they're 20, 20% room vacancies. Right. They have room in shelters to help people who are living on the streets or the highways. So why can't they take the people from the highways who are not supposed to be there and move them into the available shelter beds? It's a contract dispute, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, great. So uh, this is a bureaucracy that we have that people call, often call the Homeless International Industrial Complex so many agencies handling the homeless, and now you have the state involved. And basically the state has provided King County $49 million to remove uh, the homeless off the highways, just on King County state highways, and, and put them into some sort of a housing. But Wait, $49 million, how much does that come to toward an a, a estimated person living on the freeways? How, how many thousands are there? Well, uh, as of about a month ago, the Department of Commerce, which runs the program for the state, said that there were 73 people got into housing so far. So 73 uh, by 49 million, that's that's a pretty good. Was it 800,000 per individual? <laughs> yeah, that's, well, it's a lot of money, you know, and it's a continuing program, uh, but... Getting back to what you were saying, the, this, this is brand new news, is that the King County Regional Homeless Authority, which is basically this gigantic bureaucracy that handles everything homeless in the King County area, they control 14,000 shelter beds and some supportive housing units. 22% of that is empty, like you said. And because the, they're handling the state of Washington contracts to get people off the highways into housing, their contract with the state says... You cannot put someone on the highway into a shelter or a tiny house village. They have to go directly into some form of permanent housing. And there's just not enough permanent housing space. 
So right. What, what what was the point of that particular regulation? In other words, if what is the point of a regulation saying that if there is available shelter beds, uh, people can't be brought to those shelter beds from a tent uh, along I-5? Well, that's what the the regional home, Mark Dones, the CEO of the Regional Homeless Authority, said this week is that with the money that they're given from the state and because of the procurement and the provisos written in the in the contract, they can only go from the highway to an apartment. There's no temporary in between. And so they're taking it literally. That was just something that the state wrote up. And like I was telling you earlier, it's my impression, having covered this for a long time, is like you have King County and, and Seattle arguably are more nimble on how to handle homeless. They've been doing it for a long 10 years you know, for the emergency that we've had. The state is just now getting into the ball game on dealing with homelessness on their own land, the right-of-ways or the highway. So they're about two years, a year into this, and they just don't know. I, I, that's just my impression. They would not have allowed, you don't think they would. It just sounds, doesn't make any sense. Well, we, we covered the story, and this was a city story, um, about the uh, camping up at Thompson's school mm-hmm. and uh, where they had a homeless encampment right on school property, and, and they couldn't get them out. I mean, how long did that take? It took a long time, you know. It was more than a year. Yeah, well, yes, and uh, but it was a constant uh, uh, saber-rattling of the neighbors that finally made that happen, finally. Um, It's all about who you elect. It's my determination. It's very progressive uh, policies. And this is part of the encouraging news that, what is it now, six members of the city council? Five. Who are not going for re-election? But, and a sixth who's seeking an uh, elected office in, at the King County level. So five who've said no. Right. The sixth, um, excuse me, four have said no. A fifth is seeking election somewhere else uh, out of a nine person. So only two people have said that they're running for re-election so far this year. Right. Two out of nine. And uh, that's kind of folks who are looking at the situation and and basically throwing up their hands um i think they're just tired of it i mean they this this current council went through the black lives matter protests uh the chop the chaz that we had here uh and this constant barrage of homelessness and spending you know over a hundred million dollars a year now on trying to fix it and people are saying there's no visible improvement well you know what the campaign slogan is for all these folks is we yeah it's bad but it's not portland <laughs> that's right i mean isn't, isn't that the excuse really is to to look at our neighbor to the south and think well they're even worse well it's arguably whether they are worse i mean uh i don't know if you've driven down to olympia lately you know olympia <laughs> is really bad along i-5 and this is even after there's money given to Thurston County to make it to improve it from the governor's office. Okay, this is this is one of my pet peeves. And since you're so well schooled in this, you've been reporting it for years. Uh, one of the things you you always say is these are our neighbors, people who grew up with us. And and my impression is, and I've actually talked to homeless people who confirm this. A lot of these are people who've come out here and mm-hmm. have chosen Seattle. Because you can get more free stuff, and, that's why, that's, and because they're most sympathetic and welcoming to additional homeless population. That's why we call it Freeattle. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but they're they're really I mean this idea that there are no homeless uh, 
uh, tourists uh, here that this is all native-born? No, I, I, uh, I will say this. In my travels for the last couple of years talking to everybody, I always ask them where they came from right before here. You know, a majority, uh, I'd say more than half are from King County. But that means, you know, just less than half. That's a lot still. Uh, if you count 11,000 in the last count that were homeless in King County uh, are from someplace else. Now, when I say someplace else, they're within Washington State or Idaho or something like that. Yeah, there's a guy I know from Memphis who's from Memphis. You know, they, the farther east you go, there's fewer people. But there is. There's a lot of people here, and they know what they can get. I don't know. When I, I, you say I joke about Freattle, you can get and. I'm not belittling all the services here by saying this, but you can get a free cell phone, health care, dental care, eye care, a cot, three hots. Um, uh, uh, you have a P.O. box down at Compass down there. Um, you can get a free ID card now. Um, there are so many services here. Um, if you pitch a tent in King County and to stay there, people come to you and provide services. And that's why I've asked, I've asked leaders, is the area too compassionate? Well, that's a huge question. And uh, you provide a service, uh, Matt Markovich. It is a pleasure of speaking to you about it, though not a pleasure actually hearing some of this news. I appreciate Have a great weekend. You too, and, Mike. Uh, we will be right back on the MedVed Show. And on the Michael Medved show with the uh, the great celebration of Valentine's Day coming up, uh, there is a unique means for celebrating that holiday that uh, basically has been proposed. And uh, the the government has asked people to celebrate Valentine's Day by hugging cows. No, really, it's not our government. It's the Indian government. The uh, India government's uh, Animal Welfare Department has appealed to citizens to mark Valentine's Day this year not as a celebration of romance, but as Cow Hug Day. To better sound great. Uh, the Animal Welfare Board of India said... Uh, Wednesday, two days ago, that hugging cows will bring emotional richness and increase individual and collective happiness. I, okay, devout Hindus, uh, as people know, worship cows as holy. And uh, they say that the Western holiday goes against traditional Indian values. In recent years, Hindu hardliners have raided shops in Indian cities, burned cars and gifts, and chased hand-holding couples out of restaurants and parks, saying that Valentine's Day promotes promiscuity. Uh, and I, I understand that uh, there would be less temptation involved with hugging cows, but um, that that particular expression... Well, before we feel all, all smug and look over at the um, the 
civilization in India, which is an increasingly important ally. I mean, one of the things when you start reading some of this material about the coming conflict with China, one of the absolutely crucial questions is going to be this uh, other country with more than a billion people in it that's right next to China and is aligned, especially under Prime Minister Modi with us, but Prime Minister Modi is also aligned with some Hindu fundamentalists who want to hug cows on Valentine's Day. Uh, and we have our own strange means of celebrating uh, the Valentine's Day holiday coming up. There was a pastor who appeared on CNN uh, saying that drag queen bingo night, which they celebrated at his church. I mean, bingo is holy and sacred and traditional in churches, right? And uh, But the drag queen bingo night was an affirmation of who we are as a church. Listen. We could all use a little more fabulous, I think, in our lives. Um, you know, Reverend, as I understand it, the event ultimately was was standing room only. And again, this was this was a fundraiser for uh, one of your youth groups for a mission trip to Appalachia, where, as I understand it, they'll be helping to rebuild homes. Uh, maybe the bingo event itself wasn't initially part of the lesson, but I imagine it's become part of a really important lesson, not only for your congregation, but for the community as well, Reverend. Yeah, and, and I do, I do, I do want to say that the, the the positive response and the generosity of response that we enjoyed with this event was extraordinary. It's unlike anything that I've ever experienced. Uh, the 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 number of people that we had to turn away because we simply reached capacity uh, was probably about 150 or 200, and they their generosity, right, their patience, their forbearance, uh, their generosity was extraordinary. Uh, so. I, I do think that the overall um, uh, experience was extremely positive. Uh, it was an affirmation of who we are as a church, um, how we think about the commandment to love our neighbor. Uh, and I think it, it uh, whatever lessons the, the community has taken away from this uh, has been, I think, positive. But I think it's been a great affirmation for us. It's a big drama. Okay. What, what exactly are they affirming? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I understand uh, we're talking about sports betting before bingo uh, is, um, I, I know there's a skill involved to it, theoretically, but uh, what are they affirming with a drag queen bingo night? To be sympathetic and understanding and accepting of people who are non-binary or people who are transsexual. I understand, I understand. That that's involves compassion and acceptance, got it. But uh, in church, the, the whole idea of celebrating uh, cross-dressing, which by the way, there, there are specific uh, biblical injunctions against uh, cross-dressing. Cross uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where uh, an indication that the times they are a changing, not entirely for uh, the worse. There was a um, a statement by uh, the Prime Minister of Estonia, who is terrific, by the way. Her name is Kaja Kallas, and uh, she said this about the need for an international tribunal. 
Listen, clip 11. We have to definitely proceed with definitely the uh, International Tribunal for the Aggression Crimes. I don't support the hybrid tribunal because it's a trick. It's a trap to leave Putin out of this responsibility. And I think it's a very wrong message because he's the one who is responsible. He's the one who has decided to attack Ukraine. And clearly uh, he has to be uh, taken uh, also accountable for this. And, and third, um, uh, the frozen assets. We need a European solution to, to uh, proceed with the um, use of frozen assets. As I'm a lawyer by profession, I've been trained to find solutions. Uh, so uh, it could be done so that Russia has a claim to Europe because the assets are frozen. We have the assets. Um, Russia is destroying Ukraine. So Ukraine has a claim towards Russia. So if we give those... Um, amounts of assets that we have or the the funds that we have from those assets to Ukraine uh, we uh, know that we have uh, you know Russia has a claim to us and we can make a settlement later on uh, because Ukraine has a claim towards Russia to uh, repair uh, what they have caused all the damages uh, in Ukraine so it could be uh, done in this way but we definitely need a European solution and and very positive uh, that also other countries... Okay, uh, look, uh, there's a, a piece that uh, just appeared in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, it's uh, the American case for supporting Ukraine. It's by Senator Tom Cotton, who is not only a graduate of Harvard Law School, a United States senator uh, from Arkansas, but uh, the Republican senator who's also a veteran highly decorated veteran of uh, uh, fighting in both the theater in Afghanistan and, and in Iraq. And he writes, we should back Ukraine to the hilt because the likeliest alternative isn't peace, but rather another frozen conflict that favors Russia and harms our interests. Russia would retain key strategic terrain and much of Ukraine's industry and agriculture, food and energy prices would remain high, potentially starving many nations and exacerbating the migrant crisis in the West. Meanwhile, Russia could rebuild its strength and seize the rest of Ukraine when the opportunity arises. Such an outcome would create millions more Ukrainian refugees, drive inflation higher, and worsen supply chain disruptions. Russia would also extend its border deep into Europe. Next on the chopping block could be Moldova site of another frozen conflict and after that a nato nation like estonia we just heard from the prime minister there war is always expensive he says but we must measure the current costs against the greater potential cost of wider war in europe or asia important uh so is valentine's day important to people a bunch of romantic comedies coming out worth reviewing Coming up on the Medved Show. Okay, it's... And on the Michael Medved Show uh, on the Super Bowl weekend, uh, there there is something to be celebrated in particular. I mean, first of all, maybe a break in the rain and a little bit more sun peeking through here in Seattle. But the whole idea that there still are 
occasions where the American people can come together and share an experience. And uh, whether you're rooting for the Eagles or you're rooting for the Chiefs or you're rooting for the Chiefs to change their name to something like what the commanders, they call them, uh, or whatever, uh, there's still the idea of sharing part of what it means to live in this great country and this great but fraught moment of our history. And uh, some people will uh, want to go out to the movies. And uh, this weekend, uh, unbelievably, last weekend, the number one movie in the country was uh, Knock at the Cabin, which <laughs> I do not understand why people would be flocking to see it, but they are. It beat the Avatar movie at the box office. And this week, some romantic comedies as alternatives. of those comedies, certainly in terms of star power, is on Netflix, and uh, it is called Your Place or Mine, and it stars Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher of, uh, as two people who are best friends going back 20 years, and other than one single night at the beginning of their relationship where they were intimate, it's been, as people say, platonic. But then they have a situation where they're going to switch houses for uh, one week. He lives in New York. She lives in L.A., but she's going to be going to New York. He's going to L.A., and that makes their relationship more complicated in your place or mine. You and I tell each other everything, right? Always. I think I may have met someone. I found myself thinking about her. You have to tell her. It's too late. Wait, what is all this? Peter's not interested in me like that, is he? I feel like we should see what you and I could be. This is a minor setback, right? All I have to do is take a chance. I don't take chances. So what are you going to do? Uh, well, what are you going to do? The the film basically runs uh, as so many films do in that fantasy of uh, good friends, uh, male female friends, who you're just waiting for them to get together and to realize that that will be the answer to all their problems, etc. The um, the two stars are pros, and uh, they they do a decent job of creating characters who are sympathetic and smart. And likable, but the the plot is preposterous, and uh, the the idea, of course, there's a, a a little boy who is being raised by the single mother by uh, 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 Reese Witherspoon, and uh, yes, he's um, appealing, but you know exactly what's going to happen, and that's true throughout the screenplay and the work on the film. Uh, Likeable, uh, mildly entertaining, yes, but certainly not one of those romantic comedies that sends you out with a song in your heart. Uh, occasionally amusing and entertaining, uh, two and a half stars for Your Place or Mine uh, 
and it's rated PG-13. Uh, sex references, but uh, fairly restrained. Uh, not so restrained with the sex references and the nudity, and very much rated R, is a, a film called Seriously Red. It's uh, an import from Australia, and uh, it's av available for rent on multiple streaming platforms. You're fired. You can't fire me because I quit. You got fired and quit. But in the same day, well, that's new. What are you going to do? We're casting for a new dolly at the moment. Let's see what you're made of. This is where I belong. Baby, I'm burning out of control. Yeah, you're weird enough. I'll give you that. So I'm going to throw you a bone. Show me what you're made of. You're off on some wild, sequined goose chase that isn't going to end well. Mum, I'm not an idiot, and it will end well if it kills me. Okay, uh, Seriously Red is about a real estate agent who loses her job, and she likes dressing up as Dolly Parton, so she's convinced she's going to make a living and make a life and live her dreams as a Dolly Parton impersonator. And uh, the whole film tries to expose the subculture of professional impersonators. Uh, Bobby Cannavale actually is very good. He impersonates Neil Diamond. And, uh, and then there's another impersonator of Elvis, of course, played by Rose Byrne. And uh, she's so convincing that you don't even notice that it's the very glamorous female Rose Byrne, though they never deal with the idea that she's actually transgendered because that's unclear. The, um, the comedy tends to be gross. There is a, an entire stomach-churning sequence about breast augmentation surgery that doesn't go particularly well. And uh, sometimes the Aussie accents are a little bit difficult to understand. The uh, film is very much rated R. Uh, there is considerable nudity in it, uh, again, involving trying to, uh, to replicate Dolly Parton and her various parts. Uh, two stars for Seriously Red. You can understand some of the talent in the film, but uh, it, the talent doesn't appear to be well invested. Somebody I used to know is uh, the third film in this list. This is on Prime Video, and it's uh, uh, starring and co-written by uh, Alison Brie and directed by her husband, Dave Franco, who you may remember, the brother of James Franco. It's about a TV showrunner who loses her job and then decides to go home for a while to her home in Leavenworth, Washington. Yes, really. And it's actually shot in Leavenworth. You can recognize some of the places. And it turns out she arrives uh, on this trip home uh, just uh, days before her high school crush is getting married. Uh, he's played by Jay Ellison. Is very good. Listen. Thank you to the bride and groom for giving us a reason to celebrate. To Sean and Cassidy. I need to see this through, whatever it is. You mean like with you and the groom? I mean, we can just call him Sean. If my being here is making you uncomfortable... No, no. It wouldn't be very cool of me to kick out one of Sean's oldest friends. Allie, this has gone way too far. I know. I don't know what to do anymore. Okay, uh, one of the things not to do is there is a uh, attempts to get laughs through cat 
urine and accidents involving cat urine. Uh, and Alison Brie is a wonderful leading lady, and she looks spectacular in the film and looks and and is actually able to create a sympathetic character. And uh, the the problem with the movie is it's slow moving, and it is completely predictable. It is uh, one of those things that you can figure out exactly what is going to happen. And the only wonder would be to see, well, how it happens and whether they get some of the Seattle-based details right. They do have a bar full of uh, Seahawks paraphernalia in it. Not a reason and necessarily to see somebody I used to know. But again, uh, one of those um, uh, movies that deserves credit for not ending up exactly the way you think it would. Uh, there is some nudity in this film, too, because the one of her TV projects involves reporting on a nudist colony, uh, which is not uh, particularly titillating, at least in this portrayal. Two stars for somebody I used to know, rated R. Uh, coming up on Monday, uh, there is uh, questions about CRT, about critical race theory. You don't really have to go to law school or university in order to be exposed to it. There's now a Disney cartoon uh, that is actually doing the exposure for you. Uh, we will get to that on Monday. We will also be talking a little bit about a situation in Baltimore, which is just amazing. 23 schools in the city of Baltimore with zero students who are proficient at performing up to grade level in math. How does that happen in one of America's big cities? We will get to that and more in